Camera is live. Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of Unfiltered. Uh, we have a great program for you this evening. Uh, to my right, I want to make sure the action works uh, yes. that way, uh, is Sheriff uh, Zanoni joining us this evening. 
uh, to talk about guns, uh, CCW, of course, Dr. Kabasi. Dr. Rosami. Uh, good evening. And we have also uh, Leon Orndoff, uh, who is a, a gun owner, a gunsmith. gunsmith, and owner of Duck and Cover Tactical. He's going to be talking about what does it take to buy a gun in California? Can you just walk in and buy one? So we're going to ask a, a bunch of questions for, from Leon. Go and buy one. Can't go and buy one. Okay. And on the second part of the show, we, we will have uh, Lauren Kay, uh, who is an affiliate of uh, a California Chamber of Commerce. He's actually president of the California Foundation for Commerce and Education. Joining us about uh, the job killer bills that have, um, that they're going through the legislature. Some have already been passed. Some are waiting for a governor's signature. I mean, and, some, and some are um, going to be uh, potentially put off till next year. So, but he's going to give us a list of those that uh, uh, him and Cal Chamber have been working on uh, and, and how many of those go through the legislature every year. Well, Darius, I mean, obviously, the logic in California is that when you're running a record deficit, who needs more jobs and more tax revenue coming into the state, right? There you go. Let's kill jobs. Jeez Louise. Okay, so let's uh, start with, um, let's bring Leon on. Uh, can we get Leon Orndorff on? Okay. Okay, good evening, Leon. Can, are you on mute? Uh, let's make sure the audience can uh, hear you. Yeah, I think we, we, we already... Uh, no, actually, we did. I don't mute me. I think we're good. All right, cool. So, uh, good evening, Leon. First of all, uh, introduce to the audience... Uh, you know, who you are and uh, give us a little bit of a background on what you, your ex experiences besides owning a gun store. Okay. Um, Brief, so, maybe 30 seconds or less. Oh, we can do that. Uh, okay. So basically, I'm a Marine veteran. I was uh, active duty Marines for eight years where I was an armor. After that, I uh, started working for the Department of State as yeah. a private security contractor on the diplomatic security program as an armor and gunsmith. And, uh, Recently, I retired and uh, kind of got bored and wanted to open up a gun shop because I really wasn't happy with the service I was getting uh, in Fresno with some of the other gun shops. We wanted to create a uh, better environment for people to purchase and buy firearms. Okay, cool. So right out of the gate, I have a question for you. <clears throat> yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. Can, if, if somebody wants to come in, and, and just buy a gun, whether it's a rifle, shotgun, or a handgun. Can somebody walk in off the street and buy a gun just and take it home? The same day? Absolutely not. Uh, there is paperwork to okay. fill out. In two There's... days. I'm going to reserve one and get, take it home in two days. Can I do that? No, you can't. There's a 10-day cool-off period uh, right off the bat, along with uh, paperwork you have to fill out as well, too. Oh, so, so long as I p fill out some paperwork, I can... Get a gun in 10 days? 
Yes, that's correct. There is a background check that is done as well, too, as well as I have to identify who you are. Uh, we can go over some of the requirements of what you need to uh, purchase a firearm, but, oh, but okay, it's never okay. just a uh, simple walk-in and you get to take the gun home the same day or there's nobody watching or anything else like that. There are checks and balances in play to make sure good law-abiding citizens get that firearm and not so somebody me, that's a criminal or something else. Let me let me rephrase my question. What What are the requirements... If, if somebody off the street walked in, what are, what are the things that you require them to do or they have to do besides, well, I mean, paperwork. Sounds like I got to fill out a paperwork. I got to maybe write some ABCs, you know, and submit it. What are some of the requirements that you, uh, you have to, you know, fill out, go through before we can purchase a firearm in the state of California? Okay. Well, the first thing you need is we have to identify who you are. So you need a valid California driver's license, preferably a real ID with a little golden bear at the top, and that it does not say uh, federal limits apply on it. Um, so that's first and foremost. If you do have, and that is for uh, any firearm purchase or even ammunition purchase at this time. If you do have something that says uh, federal limits apply on it, you haven't gotten your real ID yet, um, you would have to also provide a birth certificate or a marriage license, or a passport. So that's first and foremost. Uh, next one I'm also going to need from you is uh, two proofs of residency, all right? So it's kind of important that your ID is up to date and that you have your uh, current address on that uh, driver's license or that identification card. And on top of that, an additional form of identification, which I do have a list of. Um, this would be something like your car registration, a PG&E bill, or something of that nature. And lastly, you need your firearms, uh, your firearm safety certification. And that is a 30 question test that 99.9% .9 of FFLs in California can give you on the spot. That is a 30 question test. And you have to pass the test and have all the other documentation. Then you wait a 10 day <clears throat> period for DOJs to do their background check on you, whatever they do. And then if you pass, then in 10 days, you can actually go Take delivery of the gun. Is that correct? Yes, I can deliver the gun. Uh, I have to uh, notify DOJ that I'm delivering that firearm. And uh, on top of that, they're running your background check at that time during those 10 days. It's called a DROS, a uh, dealer record of sale. Got it. Okay. Um, and, and let me ask this question. I'm going to ask actually the same question of, of Sheriff Zanoni. So, you know, we, we hear now you're, you're, gun store and a gunsmith. Uh, and, you know, occasionally we hear gang shootings and uh, people used guns, 9 millimeter, I don't know, 38 or 357 or whatever uh, that was used. And then we hear the term ghost guns. What does that mean? What, uh, I mean, do, can people buy ghost guns? First of all, what's the definition of a ghost gun? Kind of so the definition that's uh, for me or the sheriff? From, let's start with you, and then I'm going to go to the sheriff. Okay. Okay. And then, okay. We, then we're going to talk about CCWs. That, that's the second topic. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, the term ghost gun, gun has been uh, used to describe a 80% uh, receiver. Yeah. And that is something that, as you're showing on the picture right now, that has been AR-15s, uh, that has been Glocks, that has been several different, um, several, several different uh, firearm types that uh, can be 80%. As the law read... Uh, you can make your own firearms at home, but they can only be up to 80% complete. 
um, that technology got really, really, really uh, easy to manufacture, even in a private citizen's own home with a lot of the 80% stuff. Uh, so again, hence a ghost gun, it's mainly a 80% uh, receiver or receiver that was manufactured by a private citizen. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, oh. California, or not unfortunately, but California has taken measures against that. Um, and where that ghost gun term came from is that there is no serial numbers or no background check after you completed the weapon. So <laughs> anyone could order those things because they considered it a paperweight. And it just kind of turned into something else. Makes sense? Yeah. Sheriff? So Darius, yeah. What, what we see related to ghost guns is... What pretty much what Leon said, but you, you have a gun that someone can order these parts. People even have the capabilities with 3D printers to make parts for firearms. They put them together. There's no background check. There's no waiting period. There's nothing. They can order these right to their front door. Uh, a convicted felon, in essence, can get all these parts and put a gun together and have a gun. Now, if you did it with 80% and you had a serial number and you went and registered it, it potentially could be a legal firearm, but that's not what's happening. We're seeing gang members, felons, prohibited people getting all these parts, ordering these basically their house, putting guns together and having weapons to go out and commit violent crimes with. And th these are these are not our law-abiding citizens. You know, th these are not our law-abiding residents. These are individuals who can't go into Mr. Leon's shop and purchase a firearm because they wouldn't pass the background check. Um, and so they find other means to get guns, whether that is by getting a ghost gun or purchasing uh, stolen or unserialized firearms from the black market out on the streets. Mm. <clears throat> okay. Couldn't agree with you more on that one, sir. Thank you. So basically, sounds like somebody that wants to buy a gun in California legally has got to go through this lengthy process, pass a test, prove prove residency, prove identity, get a gun register, pass a test to make sure they know how to operate a firearm, uh, then have an opportunity to purchase. Well, if somebody wants to buy illegal ghost gun, they can pick it up in the black market, probably for a lot less money. Well, well Darius, like Leon discussed, you know, talking about this wait period, and, and really it's a cooling off period, so... Somebody that uh, comes up with this crazy idea spur of the moment can't go to the store and go, uh, I'm going to go kill my ex-girlfriend's new yeah. boyfriend today. They have to yeah. wait 10 days. And the hope is by having that cooling off or that waiting period is that their feelings or their anger will, will subside and then they won't uh, take this violent yeah. action. But there's, it's just interesting how easy it is for the criminals to get guns, but law-abiding residents have to go through this whole process, have to pay fees, the waiting period, the background check, and then that kind of transitions what we're talking about with CCWs is we, we constantly focus on the law-abiding gun owner, and we're not focusing enough on the criminals to put teeth and punishment into the things that they're doing to prevent and get people off the streets that are committing violent crimes. Why do you think in California, especially with this new bill, and we want to put that on the screen, uh, which slide is that? If we can... The, the, the new CCW bill basically restricts where you can carry a, CC, uh, a, a concealed weapon, concealed carry weapon. Basically restricts it to, to where you can, um, in your house. In Cer your certain sites, a lot of public sites, you can't even 
Kind of, or businesses. You can't carry it in a business. Well, and that's... Uh, I, I think when, when sure you look... That, go ahead, Leon. Uh, I'm sure the sheriff can explain that, too. There are certain spots that you're not allowed to carry your CCW. That's federal buildings, schools. Uh, businesses do have the right to uh, say, no, I don't want concealed carry in there. Uh, and there's a couple businesses that I don't go to just because of that exact thing. Um, again, with a CCW, that that's one of the things we do teach in the class of, hey, where is it okay to carry? Where is it okay not to carry? I understand the new bill that's coming out. They're restricting it even further, but there are currently restrictions on where you can and cannot carry uh, on a CCW. So I, I think just touching on that, Leon, and, and that's a very good point because you cannot carry it into an airport, you have to lock and secure it a certain way. You can't carry it on a plane with you through TSA. That'll that'll cause you some problems. It really feels it feels like the restrictions that they're putting on with this new bill is almost like disincentivizing you to want to get a CCW because of the amount of limits. And now they're going to increase the training from eight hours to sixteen hours and yep. some other things with the bill. And I think it really goes back to when we look at we're talking about violent crime related to guns. How many violent crimes are committed by CCW holders here in Fresno County? That number is one-tenth of one percent, if that. That, that. That's the issue that we're running into. Sure, do we have CCW holders who get DUIs and we revoke their permit? We have CCW holders who go out maybe get in a bar fight. But it doesn't involve violence and it doesn't involve a firearm. Or you have a CCW holder who walks into TSA and forgot their guns in their bag, and then they get held up and potentially a crime against them under the letter of the law. Yes, but when we're talking about robberies, drive-by shootings, acts of violence involving a firearm, I can't even find any in our system. No, I, I, I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing with you on that one. Um, again, with not necessarily places you can go, but what we brought up before where they're making it so it's more harder to get these things or not making it more difficult, making it more expensive. There's an 11% uh, gun tax coming up now. That's right. Where anytime you buy a firearm, it's 11%. That's what I feel has been going on a lot of times in California where they're just making it more and more, and more expensive and discouraging people to buy firearms, not just to mention um, the tabooness of firearms uh, right now in California. That's an that's, stats you were referring right. to. Uh, that's, you want to read that up? Well, we're, we're talking yeah. about currently we have approximately 17,000 CCW holders that are authorized to carry a gun with a valid CCW here in Fresno County. And if you multiply, do some math over the last five years, uh, that's about one in 31 million opportunities to commit a crime. Um, and like I said, we're focused on crimes involving a firearm and violence. You know, we're not we're not talking about somebody who just has a CCW and gets arrested for some other crime not related to their firearm. Joe Martinez has a question. Why are there more guns than people in the U.S.? There's estimated 400 million legal handguns, 350 to 400 million. Uh, guns are the number one killer of children, according to Center for Disease Control. Okay, I don't agree with that statement at all. Um, let's, 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 where guns are the number one killer. That's just a... But first sorry, all, let's go to the first up question. on that one. But that's... Lauren, Leon, let's go to the first question. Why are there more guns than people in the United States? I'm going to ask, actually, actually ask a follow-up question. Why are there more cars than people in the United States? I don't well, you know in the car well, business. Well, 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 you have cars, 
Because everybody wants to have more than one car. Why does people, why do, some people have more than one car? Some people have five cars. Some people okay. have 10 cars. Okay. It's the same thing with firearms. Um, basically, guns have been manufactured a long time. And those add up. And those guns that where there's more guns than people in the U.S., well, we're taking numbers from way back in the day, too, as well. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but they're continually made. They're not a perishable item. They don't just one day, okay, hey, you reach the expiration date. It's this day. The gun's no good. Throw it out. So you have to take into account anything that was made from way back in the early 1900s to now. So that's why we have more guns there. There's companies like Remington or Colt or Smith & Wesson that have made guns for decades, if not just a millennia, you know. Well, I think, Leon, when we're talking about guns and why we have so many, you have to look at history. History yeah. of how our country was founded, the, the original war, the Civil War. We've had mm -hmm. all these things over the years, World War One, World War Two. We've had the Korean War, the Vietnam War. We, we fought wars. You know, we in the Old West, the guns ruled. That's how people protected yep. themselves. That was a form of law and order. If you didn't have a gun, you weren't going to get a whole lot of law and order. So that's kind of how our country was founded. And you look at other countries like uh, Tasmania or New Zealand, they have very few guns because they don't have the conflict that we have. They don't have the wars. They haven't been engaged in those types of things. So it's kind of how history has kind of set us in motion with firearms here in the United States. Agreed. I, I want to I add one more thing to that. Uh, I'm, uh, I was born and raised in Iran, a country in the Middle East. Most, most of you know where it's been in the news uh, a lot, especially recently. If... Iranians could carry weapons or handguns uh, that would have been an rev effective revolution uh, decades ago. But Iranians, you know, they, they protest in the streets a year ago, massive protests because of killing of, of, of a woman, of a young woman, and protests in almost every city in Iran, hundreds of thousands of people, but the internet is controlled by the government, and nobody can carry gun uh, a weapon. It's a crime. So who's got we weapons? The military and police, they show up, they round people up, they kill a few, and they disperse the crowd. And eventually, the, the crowd, I mean, it, it's, it's, the protests are done. If Iranians could carry guns, they would, they would not less let or allow this tyrannical government rule them. And that's what's, that's what's happened for 40 years. And that's why we have the Second Amendment in our Constitution from the get-go and start. I want to put a, I know Mike has got a comment. I want to put a slide, a comment from Attorney General Bonta um, on an interview uh, that was um, done with uh, David Taub. Can we put a slide? What is that? Uh, yeah, there we go. So some CCW holders are. Oh, are some have in the past. If you give everyone a CCW without discretion and without review, then certainly there will be more people who are not law-abiding and more dangerous who will get a CCW who can commit a crime. Any comments on that? And I know, Mike, you had a couple of comments. Yeah, I got one. There's a process just as well as like purchasing a firearm to get your CCW. You get live scanned, and I'm sure uh, the sheriff can really go into that one of checking people. I, this uh, this belief that you can just walk in like you walk into a 7-Eleven and get a CCW or get yourself a firearm is getting ridiculous, um, in my opinion. Uh, it, it's just the way it's being painted with firearms nowadays or just their killing machines or anything else. 
that's not necessarily the case. Um, again, sir, I'm sure you got a lot to say on that one of just handing out CCWs. <laughs> okay. Sheriff, any comments? Well, uh, well oh. I was going to let Mike go. Mike. So I want to go back to Joe's comment about um, the, that firearms are the number one cause of, of deaths for kids. So the reality is, whether we like it or not, it is true. And don't believe the CDC, the New England Journal of Medicine did an analysis in 1989 to 2020. The reality is firearms skyrocketed. It used to be auto-related injury. Now it's firearms. However, there's more to that. Another thing we don't talk about is that overdose went from being number five, number six to number three. And we don't talk about that at all when it comes to kids, unfortunately. But when you look at the reasons in that study about why kids, how they're being, how firearms are killing them, number one is suicide, but the biggest proponent is homicide, criminals killing kids. So my issue with that, and Joe, I really appreciate bringing this up because I know how passionate you are about this. My concern is we are making our laws in this state where it's easier to buy a ghost gun, but we're criminalizing the that follow the Second Amendment and may have a firearm they're leaving, they can use to stop someone trying to kill a kid. We're going after that person because politicians want the easy win. But they're not going after the people that really are killing our kids and harming them that leads to that stat you're talking about. So I think that what I would like people like you to do or people like me is to challenge our state representatives to stop decriminalizing things, supporting things like Prop 47 to make it easier to commit crimes and get back on the street. Prop 57 says, if you rape someone and they're unconscious, it's a misdemeanor. That's the kind of stuff we need to work together on. That's a good point. No, uh, I agree. A couple, couple of questions. Uh, <clears throat> are AR-15s uh, still legal or illegal in California? Bob Wharton has a question. By the way, AR does not stand for assault weapon. Assault rifle. It's a name of a brand. And I can't. Um, Armalite. 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 Okay, rifle. Are, um, Leon, are AR 15s available to purchase? Uh, yes, they are. Uh, the uh, California DOJ has put out a uh, feature list of uh, feature list for assault rifles. Uh, the AR 15, there's been a lot of companies that have been clever that have been able to. Um, Follow those guidelines. You can actually see one in the background right now that I have that is a California legal AR-15. So, yes, short answer, they are uh, still legal in California. Okay. You know, I wanted to go back yeah. real quick to the CCW and how we evaluate it and, and you know, <laughs> whether you get one or not. And then typically what we deal with a lot of is when we revoke permits. Those are individuals we give permits to and then something happens. So we look at it, you know, you go out and commit a crime, you get a DUI. Your permit gets revoked. You go out and you get in a disturbance in a fight at a bar or a restaurant, <clears throat> you're going to get your CCW revoked because we're looking at behavior where you're not using good judgment, uh, you're breaking the law, and we feel like, hey, it's just not safe for you to be carrying a firearm around based on the kind of conduct and behavior that you're engaging in. So I think that we have a lot of steps in place. We revoke a lot of permits. It's just not once you get it, you know, carte blanche to do whatever you want. I mean, once you're fingerprinted, your uh, fingerprints are on file with us. If you're arrested, if you're cited, we will get a hit back from the Department of Justice saying that, you know, this individual was cited for DUI or this person was arrested for domestic violence. And if it's out of our county, then we'll be able to follow back up with them. 
and revoke their permit and get it back into our possession and then do our review. And then sometimes they appeal. Uh, if they win their appeal, they get their permit back. But most of the time on a fresh arrest, uh, they don't win their appeal. And then they have to wait approximately two to three years before they can reapply. Leon, let me ask you a question. Based on your experience okay. working with the public, you want to comment okay. on the last one, Leon? Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just saying, okay. Right. So you work on the retail environment with the public, men and women, yes. moms and dads, whoever they are, they want to purchase a gun. Now, yes. my question for you is, have you noticed whenever there's more talk about restrictive laws, there's an uptick in people wanting to purchase a firearm or ammunition? You hear about yes. that, but is that really true? It actually is true. Uh, we have an election year coming up. Sales are usually higher during election year. Um, so that is true. Uh, normally when we have more restrictions, when we have more taxes or something's going away, it's just that same childlike mentality. If you're taking it away, they want it a little bit more. Um, I do have a lot of friends that they just weren't into firearms. And recently they started hitting me up. Hey, I would like to purchase a firearm. I'd like to learn about it. And that's, uh, that's another thing I like to bring up too, is that um, I do feel a lot of times we are quick to sell somebody a firearm and we don't go over, even though there's a safety handling test, but we don't have them go in classes or anything else like that to learn those good fundamentals of safety. Uh, we offer a firearms familiarization class, which I highly encourage new gun owners, uh, excuse me, new gun owners to take. But uh, to go back to your question, yes, we do see an uptake in sales whenever there's a new law that's being passed or an election year, or as much as I hate to say this, whenever a tragedy with a shooting happens. And, and okay. vice versa on our end, I'll just comment that when you do have some mass shooting or mass casualty event, we seem to get a big uptick in phone calls and in online application and inquiries regarding CCWs. Well, is that right? Oh, yeah. I can tell you uh, probably five or six years ago before we went to the automated online system, our inbox on our uh, voicemail at the office was full, was overloaded, couldn't take anymore after an incident yes. occurred uh, on a Saturday uh, somewhere across the country and, and down in Texas, I believe, was the one. And people were just chomping at the bit to get an appointment that week to get in and get a gun. Yep, they need protection it. protection and also because the gun laws are going to change. Well, I, th I think at that time they felt like, hey, I'm going to go to a mall or a supermarket and yeah. I need to have a gun. I need to be able to protect myself and my family. But, you know, there's a lot of folks out there. They're good law-abiding gun owners. They want to do it the right way. They want to get a CCW. And, uh, yeah, we would get floods, phone calls, and we, we could barely keep up with them returning calls. Wow. And the old system. <laughs> now it's much more streamlined with Permidium. You know, we can even... Uh, talk right. about what's kind of going on right now we do have a california drop list and what that is it um there's only certain uh pistols that are allowed in california well the six hour p320 uh just got released um or just got put on the drop list and is available for purchase uh my phone has been blowing up on that one uh guys that just wanted a firearm always wanted it or just because it's new they want it i got a I got a long list of people that I get to call and wait to get those things in, but it's something new and everybody wants it. Let me add something else. I think Leon brought up an interesting point. Uh, Leon, I'm going to ask you this question. Is there roughly 2,000 different type of handguns you can buy in the country? I mean, in a, uh, in a state where you can buy, you know, the latest and greatest handguns. Is it, is it that 2,000... 
I don't have that number. I, I didn't prepare for that one, but I'd say that's pretty close because models change all the time and you have any gun manufacturer that can make anything. You have like PSA making their own version variant of a Glock that counts on that called the dagger. You have Glock with models 17 all the way. I think they're at 48, 49 now. And okay. that doesn't mean 49 so, of those, but that, that sounds about right. If not more. And out of those, uh, how many are available to purchase in California? It's, it's like There's less a, than two hundred. Less than two hundred, right? Uh, I think that's about right. I can uh, check the California drop list real quick, but a lot of the newer guns that are coming out aren't being put on the drop list. Which, you know, California has literally put its hand up and has tried to stop any pistols or firearm purchases in California with stuff like that. So Californians uh, are actually purchasing dated guns with older technology. Is that, exactly. Is that, is that a true? Okay. That's an accurate statement. Actually, that just got brought up uh, when in court against the drop list is that the actual wording was, is that we have archaic weapons, archaic firearms. We have in California a law that it's called the Unsafe Handgun Act, that that's why we have these drop lists. But if you look at it like a seatbelt, when cars first came out, Okay, there's no seat belts. And they realized, hey, people get in accidents. Then there was a lap belt. Then there was a three-point belt. And then there was airbags. And now you can't get a car or you get a car and it has standard airbags, seat belts, and everything else, right? We improved the technology for safety. Well, it's the same thing with firearms. uh, Prior to this P320 and some of the other ones that dropped on the roster over the last two months, the last time a handgun was added to the California drop roster, a handgun was 2013. There's a lot of improvements that have been made safety-wise, accuracy-wise, however you want to break it down on that, to make those guns safer and more accurate to hit your target, even if it's target shooting or you have to defend yourself. Great points, Mike. Yeah, so let me ask you your opinion on this. So okay. people reach out and they get really upset when there's a mass shooting. Or yes. there's, in my, I'm very sensitive to gang violence in my So okay. there was a time where the NRA, almost 100 years ago, when we had... Criminal gangs and prohibition, they actually worked with legislators to craft bills that restricted gun use for these criminal elements. But I feel like if you're a legislator and you're trying to go after gang members and do that today, the NRA won't support that because they don't trust government. I can understand that. Their take is anything you try to do, even if it takes away a person on the terrorist watch list right to have a gun, you're going to infringe on me as a slippery slope. So that, where is the valve for release? Where do we actually get the pass? work together to pass real legislation that keeps out of the hands of people who violate the Second Amendment and protect the super ultra majority of people that are just exercising their constitutional right. Okay. On that one, I'm going to start off with that's probably way out of my pay grade. But what I am going to say is um, as far as it goes with the gun laws in California, um, I think it's something that we need to start over. And I hate using this term so much. It's a common sense look at it but that common sense is an uncommon virtue we haven't used common sense and people writing these laws about firearms about okay restrictions and everything else aren't people that know about firearms most of the time so again it 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 really stifened us in california and really made us a midget when it came to firearms because we're writing laws that make no sense and again the law-abiding citizen is getting punished for it um there's a couple examples I can use and not kind of going on corruption or anything else like that. But I love using the example of Senator Yee. 
he tried to place uh, on top of a lot of other things he did too, but he was the one that initially started the bullet button with AR-15. Okay, great. Yeah, we don't want assault weapons. We don't want these things. And he had that bullet button push. Well, what'd he get in trouble for? Well, he got in trouble for arms running and he was using, uh, he was trafficking in fully automatic weapons as well as explosive devices. So you got to kind of look at it both ways. Why are we being restricted? Why is there such a fear for some of these weapons that are considered assault weapons? You know, I feel if we're able to start over or actually you get somebody in there that has that political power to discuss these gun laws and take that good look at them of what works, what doesn't, what's safe, what's not, and what's a good common sense and a halfway ground, I think we'd be in a lot better position. Good, good points, Leon. Uh, some of Joe's questions are, are safety locks mandatory with the purchase of new guns? You can't, when, when you take delivery of your gun, you can't actually take it Correct, without as, uh, it being locked. Is that correct? Yes and no. Um, okay. So with rifles, no. Uh, we still have a gun lock that goes out with them. Factories have gun locks. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Sheriff. California law is you can transport uh, rifles, obviously unloaded, but they do not have to be in a locked box. We did ask. Compared to a pistol that but does have to be in a locked box or a cable lock through it. Uh, all <clears throat> pistols do, and rifles uh, selling out of this shop coming from the factories do come with a cable lock. Okay. Yes, yes, when it comes to pistols, that, that is correct. And with rifles, obviously unloaded in a box. Yes. Um, pistols unloaded, locked, uh, you know, not concealed or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I really think what, what you, you said something, Leon, about the common sense approach. And what really frustrates me is like, you know, I talk to people, hey, lock your guns up, you know, if, you know, yep. the biggest thing is, is that people leave guns in cars, cars get stolen, cars get broken into that. That's a big problem. But I really think that, you know, we talk about the wait period. I talk to people all the time. Oh, I live in this state. I could just go buy ammo down at the hardware store. I don't need a background check or anything. Uh, I, I think the wait period's a good thing. I think the background check's a good thing. Yes. But we're, we're making law abiding individuals that want guns toe the line. What I really think we need to do is for those individuals who aren't obeying the law, or felons who are gang members and using these in a, in a criminal uh, capacity, we need to have some serious laws on the books to lock those people up and send a message to the community that if you are going to do firearms illegally, you're gonna use them in an illegal manner, you're gonna serve 25 to 30 years in prison. But here in California, we don't want to incarcerate anyone else. We want to reduce our prison population at the cost of the safety of the residents of California. And that's why if you look at a lot of our operations that we have, Fresno Police Department, Sheriff's Office, we have these big gang operations. We bring in the United States Attorney because we charge people federally. Why is that? Because we want them to do some significant time for the crime. And we know on the state side, as good as Lisa Smith Camp is, he can only get so much, and going back to what Mike Carbasi said, with Prop 47, Prop 57, AB 109, sentence credits, you can get 10 years, a sentence of 10 years for a crime, that person might do three years, and they're back out on the street. And that is unacceptable. That's when you talk about violent gun crimes. Well, criminals are, uh, Inga's point, criminals are a lot more responsible for gun violence than the NRA. NRA is the scapegoat, according to Inga. But, okay. Uh, uh, 
We also have um, Sheriff Boudreau. You know Sheriff Boudreau. I do. That, that is going to call in. Uh, and, then, and then we're going to wrap up in a few minutes because we have Lauren uh, Kay. Is Lauren with us? Uh, maybe we should bring Lauren on for a minute and ask him a question about gun laws. I know you're, you're talking about job killing uh, <laughs> regulation in California. You haven't any comp. You've been listening to, to some of this conversation. I hope. Oh, Darius, you're putting him right on the spot. Yeah, uh, but uh, no. Uh, Lauren knows a lot about California politics, uh, job killer bills. But before we get into job uh, killer bills, you have any comments on, on on this conversation? No, but I'm learning an awful lot about it about the subject. So keep it up. Okay. All right. Okay. A uh, question from Cam Malloy. I'm curious. What, there, what are the rules for people with CCW carry per- permits in the city of Fresno? Local, oh, uh, local school districts and other major employers in Fresno area. Do employers allow them to bring the firearm? You know, I don't know. I can't answer that question. I, I, I don't know anybody I, here can. I, I, I can answer I, the question okay, because we, yeah, we sure, I think you're better suited. <laughs> We issue a lot of CCWs to City of Fresno residents. As long as you're within the county, like City of Clovis, the police department doesn't issue them, so people come to us. We have a lot of oh, folks from the City I didn't of Fresno. So if you live in Clovis, they go you to come the to us. Okay. I have people that okay. are City of Fresno residents that come to us as well. There was a time when uh, school districts, uh, the superintendent could write a memo or a letter and allow someone, uh, an employee, to carry a gun at school. But due to some California legislation, some other things, that's no longer a viable option. So working on campus, no. Personally, from what I see across the country, and you see these different uh, school shootings and acts of school violence, if you had teachers and staff on campus who were properly trained, I believe they would be a huge asset, and I believe it would actually probably deter people from wanting to come on campus and commit violent acts. you know, much is the same way as we have school resource officers and school resource deputies on campus that help keep our kids safe and protect them because they know what to do in an emergency. And I, you know, I don't think carrying a gun would be that far out of the realm of a, of a real viable option. Uh, we do train school staff on seconds to survive. We teach them how to the run, hide, and fight, what to do if there is an active shooter on campus. But unfortunately, at this point, only law enforcement officers are allowed to carry a firearm when on a school campus here in the city of Fresno. Do you ha- have any um, law enforcement officers in school districts? We do. Okay. Fresno, the uh, city of Fresno Police Department has a very large uh, school safety program with school resource officers. And the sheriff's office, we have uh, school resource deputies out at uh, Tranquility and San Joaquin schools. We have Central West High School. Uh, soon to be getting one over at uh, Riverdale, and we also have one down at Wawona uh, School here off of Palm and Shaw. So when the funding's available, we're, we're working hand-in-hand with the school districts to build this partnership and get deputies on campus. So about kind the SRO program? Go ahead, Leon. Uh, okay, on, kind of a pick off of uh, what the sheriff said, too. Real hey, you quick, really want to do a service? Leon, uh, Grab sorry, some Leon, veterans re- to go and re- defend Leon, schools. Leon, real, real quick, because uh, I also have Sheriff Mike Boudreau on the on the line, and he's got a few comments about uh, how uh, guns about about CCWs in T- Tillery County. Uh, Mike Boudreau of uh, Sheriff T- Tillery County. Uh, but go ahead, Leon. Quick comment, Mike's question, and then we're gonna move on. 
a quick comment. I agree with the sheriff as far as keeping uh, armed teachers in there. But if you want to do one better, put some of the veterans in there, some of the ones that are having trouble getting a job, and they'll That's send the kids point. hands down, put and they're already trained. On campuses. Okay. Mike? Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, Sheriff uh, Boudreau, welcome to Unfiltered. I know uh, you got a busy schedule this evening. Uh, comments, uh, a brief comments on how's Tulare County handling CCWs and also uh, ghost guns. And uh, you know, what what do you think is why do we have so much? Uh, well, not, I shouldn't say what, so much. What the the cause of uh, violence and, and and gun violence in? Tulare County. I wasn't going to ask you to opine on the uh, state of California, but uh, Tulare County. And then the new ruling, I know it's a long question, the new <laughs> law that will be signed, well, could be signed by Governor Newsom here in the next, uh, what is it, next two to three weeks on restricting CCWs further. Several questions in there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and answer them all. And hello to my good friend, uh, Sheriff <laughs> Tony from Fresno, uh, good guy. Hello, my friend. It's good to hear you on the air. Glad you could um, join us. Yeah, thank you very much. And I apologize. My schedule is very busy today. I cannot be on Zoom. Uh, I'm actually heading off to a, another as a keynote speaker in a different event. But let me let me say this: the factors with gun violence go deeper than just gun uh, control with what's happening in Sacramento. First off. We have a governor that's so soft on crime that there's no deterrence for any type of violent crime uh, in the state of California. And the legislatures in California really have impacted law enforcement's ability to reduce those levels of violent crime. And we can talk about, uh, you know, gangs having guns. We can talk about uh, people who should not have guns having guns. But let's talk about our concealed weapon holders in Tulare County. We're about a 600,000-person county, a little over that. But I can tell you that I have over 12,000 concealed weapon permits. I've been with the sheriff's office for 37 years, and I can tell you uh, just in recent history, the last 20 years, we have not had one, zero, law-abiding citizens carrying concealed weapons who have violated the law or committed criminal acts. I mean, that becomes very important for people to understand that the recent legislation that's trying to be put in play, and you indicated that it's going to the governor's desk. I guarantee the governor is going to sign that bill, um, and, and it'll become law, which further restricts the law-abiding citizen to be able to exercise their Second <laughs> Amendment right. I would hope at some point that we have people that challenge that law and appeal that law and take lawsuits to the state of California because it does violate your Second Amendment. The, the increase uh, in, in what we're seeing uh, with the restrictions and concealed weapon holders, you're only tying the hands of those who are law-abiding citizens. So let's talk about your other points of questions that you were touching on about ghost guns or those guns coming into Tulare County. We have an administration federally as well as the state, with our soft-on-crime uh, governor, where we have open borders. I'm going to tell you that we have guns coming across that border on a daily basis. We talk about fentanyl, we talk about methamphetamine, we talk about human trafficking. But for any of your listening audience that does not understand that we have illegal guns coming across that are, that are major guns, AK-47s, we have ghost guns. And for your listeners, I'm sure you've already explained what a ghost gun is. But we have thousands 
of illegal weapons coming across our border into our gangs. We have cartels living in the state of California who are working hand-in-hand with our gang members, distributing methamphetamine in any way that they can make money through criminal means. They're going to do it. Guns are coming across that open border. They're impacting and coming into the streets for our gang members to use. It's not hard for a gang member to get a gun. We can say that they steal guns in a burglary. I'm telling you, they have such connections to the cartel that guns are coming across our open border in the masses. So how do you reduce that gun violence? Shut our borders down. You allow the concealed weapon holders to legally carry those weapons that I heard Sheriff Sazoni talking about, uh, you know, campuses. When you put at a campus a sign that says a gun-free zone, all you're doing advertising to a criminal or someone with mental health issues that there is a uh, easy target at our school areas so you know I'm, I'm I don't mean to be rambling but this is a this is a huge topic to unpack um, but I but I'll tell you that it's a bigger issue than just gangs with guns we have open borders we have thousands of guns coming across the border and you're restricting the law-abiding citizen from exercising their Second Amendment right that was a very packed answer, uh, Sheriff, especially as it's relating to uh, our borders and, and also fentanyl. We probably have a whole show. Let's invite both of you back to Let's do it. Let's that. do it. Just, uh, yeah, what's happening? A border crossing. I think Sheriff Zanoni has talked about that, uh, about, you know, we got to, you know, we're not controlling what actually comes into the state. Uh, yeah, Mike, piggybacking off the sheriff, and I'm glad you mentioned fentanyl because right now, according to the study from the New England Journal of Medicine, it, it went from six to the third leading cause of death in kids, ages zero to nineteen, from two thousand in, in just just two years. So it's it's a huge issue. But going back to this issue of the gun-free zone that Sheriff Boudreaux said, when you put a gun-free zone sign, you're basically advertising to people that there's no one to stop them if they're crazy to get a gun on school. This is a controversial issue, and I understand that. But here's my concern. So I, I come with, to this with a bias because my fiance is a teacher. One of her biggest concerns is some crazy person trying to kill her and her kids. And it's alarming. We have this in the Fresno Unified Schools in, in the city of Fresno, a school resource officer program where you have a police officer. And it's much more than having an armed person on campus. They do all kinds of great things for the kids. Well, when you were hearing all that talk about that crazy talk about defund the PD, the first thing they wanted to come after was taking those SROs out of schools. How dangerous that was. Well, fortunately, oh. parents and the kids, when they responded to that, overwhelmingly told the, for the school board back a couple of years ago that, no, they want them on the campus. They feel safer. So the problem is you have this conventional wisdom, how guns are killing all these kids, but it doesn't go to reality with what the actual people, the electorate is. So politicians have to be really careful about listening to all the emotion and going to the real numbers and the reality. And I, I really... Um, I know people get mad when I say this, but you know I, I agree with the sheriff. Those gun-free zone, zone signs aren't protecting kids. It's actually exposing them to violence, potential violence. Okay. Oh, man, I, you know, I absolutely agree, and, and, and I sympathize with you. My wife is a school principal. And you know, when we put school-free, you know, gun-free zones out front, it's an advertisement. Why not put a sign out there that says, we have armed security on campus. We have armed police officers on campus. We have armed people on campus who will meet that threat with the same level of violence brought on campus. Make it clear. 
So in the state of California, why as a governor, we've got plenty of money in this state. Evidently, we can buy it. We have a billion dollars that we can use by buying masks from China that don't work. But we can't put an armed police officer on every campus in the state of California. No, that's your priority going wrong. That's your priority set on a narrative that's to the left side that does not work. People in California want their children protected. And we need to make sure that our message is very, very clear. And that message is you come on campus with the gun, we will meet that threat equal. That's fantastic. <clears throat> Instead of saying, uh, come on, come on in because we're unarmed uh, and do whatever you want. Uh, take down whoever you want. No, that that's um, can't is it legal? I mean, I know you guys are not in the education business, but do you know if it's legal to put a sign up that says we have armed guards on on schools, even if you don't? Well, well, what it comes down to, I'm sorry, Sheriff. Go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead, Mike. Well, what I was going to say, my wife being an administrator, it all comes down to every school district has a school board. Every district uh, is responsible to answer to that school board. Whatever that school board decides to allow with their administration and or staff, they can allow. Um, but, you know, the, the, the thing that impacts my wife is anything that we do that goes against the state of California and the education system ran by the state, there's threats of removing funding. funding. And, and that becomes a challenge for school boards. Great points. Any final comments? Because we got to go to our second half of the program, and we have limited time. Now. This is we can talk about this probably for ninety minutes. There's so much. I mean, impact on schools or on our kids. How do we pre prevent gun violence and killings on, on campuses? I mean, campus security, uh, K through twelve security. I mean, it's a whole topic that's very important, very near and dear to the hearts of every every resident and citizen in in our community. How do we deal with that? And do, does California allow, incentivize, or prohibit, uh, you know, those kinds of uh, activities. But uh, any final comments on the... You know, you know, Darius, Mike, and uh, Sheriff Boudreau, we, you know, we, we've identified a lot of the issues. I think we have a good grasp on, on what some of the problems are. Um, I'll cut really short to the chase here. Border, ghost guns, lack of prosecution, you know, lack of jail time, lack of punishment. There's no teeth in the system. I, you know, CCW holders are not the problem, but we are focusing on CCW holders, which is amazing when we have all these other issues that we could fix. We, like Sheriff Boudreau said, we're elected officials. He's down in Tulare. I'm here. We, we know how to solve some of these problems. But if you try to do something that goes against the state, that they'll pull your funding. You know, the, the, they'll do all kinds of different things, but we need to get back to common sense and quit playing politics, and we need to solve these problems. We're spending a bunch of money, like Sheriff Boudreau said, on masks from China that don't work. We need to fix the problems, protect our kids, and make our communities safer. And we, as sheriffs, we know how to do that. Unfortunately, we have people in Sacramento that aren't listening, so I'll close with no, that. Great points. Uh, is it okay to share this on the screen or no? It's not mine. It's on yours? No. Okay. Yeah, we're not going to share it. Okay. All right. Uh, Sheriff, you have any final comments in 30 seconds or less? I don't think that my good friend Sheriff Zazoni could put it any better than how he put it. You know, as sheriffs, we're responsible for public safety. Let us do our jobs with prohibiting us 
from doing our job, hold criminals accountable at the highest levels, allow the citizens of this state and America to exercise their constitutional rights, and you'll see a reduction in violent crime. Okay, fantastic. Thank you, Sheriff uh, Boudreaux of Tulare County uh, for joining us. We hope to have you back on uh, with Sheriff Zanoni on a uh, Zoom program on, on sure. Unfiltered to discuss uh, fentanyl border crossings, illegal border, uh, crossings of guns across our southern border, or, or any border, really, uh, and, how the, and also violence on, on, uh, on schools and how to prevent that. Sounds like you guys have a great recommendation. It sounds like an op-ed that needs to go out on GB Wire soon. Recommendations how to enhance security, safety, uh, and reduce gun violence, or violence, I should say, at, on campuses. Um, but until then, uh, thank you, Sheriff uh, Boudreaux, for joining us. Um, and we're going to switch back over to our main topic. But, oh, I want uh, Leon, actually, uh, yes, his final comments. So, Sheriff, you can, you're welcome to stay with us uh, as we go into job killer bills uh, and the state of California. We have uh, Lauren Kay, president, uh, president of California Foundation for Commerce and Education that's uh, with us here this evening uh, to tell us. Uh, oops, and there we go. Sheriff just dropped off. Okay. Um, let me see. There's lots of comments. Uh, Zanoni for governor. Uh, sheriff Zanoni, uh, we need a sheriff to run for uh, run the state. Oh, not a lot of other stuff. Let, let me comment on the, the other stuff. Okay. Um, I, I, th th what I've learned tonight is we have to stop thinking what we see on CNN or Fox News is the truth because they're going to say all kinds of crazy stuff because they want to get their ratings if that's their interest. The reality is don't assume that every Democrat is against the Second Amendment. Don't assume every Democrat is against protecting our kids and our schools and common sense or Republicans for that matter. Okay. That's the kind of crap that keeps us from getting things done together. If I look at John Zanoni and say, oh, he's a particular party, I can't work with him, what kind of disservice am I doing to my constituents? We can't have it that way anymore. So we rely on the electorate not falling for those traps from special interests that just want to keep us fighting and not solving these problems. And I'm telling you, the politicians in Sacramento thrive on that. Uh, Marcos Armenta, we're punishing law-abiding citizens. I think became kind of clear tonight. One of the other things, by the way, on the comments is uh, to, to be able to get or, re get or renew, you have to take a 16-hour class instead of a, I think it's four, four or eight hours. Currently. That's right. That's, that's yeah. if, the, if he yeah. signs the bill. Uh, he, he's a, wasn't he, isn't that his bill? Uh, he wanted, I mean, he, I know he's, uh, governor is not member of the, uh, it's not part of the 120-member legislator, but I think this is his bill. Anyhow, uh, Susan Whitrup, I would like as a comment, who's a trustee, Fresno Unified, I would like to see a well-trained armed guard at every public school. Amen. Big deal. Amen to that Great. from Great. Sheriff Zanoni. And seconded Absolutely. by... Very big deal. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mike Rabasi. Since uh, Inga Schlegel, uh, since the criminals know that there are no consequences for stealing in a store as long as it's under $950, how much has the shoplifting increased? Criminals running free in California is a problem, not the gun. I don't think you have any data on that. But well, I've, I've, I've heard, have you heard this, Mike? I've heard there, there's folks that are saying, hey, just if you act businesses, you need copy paper, 
pens, whatever, go to uh, your local CVS or Office Depot or any of those. Office Depot is still in business? Yeah. Okay. And just get, you know, several hundred dollars worth of goods and just walk out. Well, it's... It's, it's a Darius, that, that happens all the time. And the criminals know the law. They'll walk out with eight, $900 because they don't meet that $950 threshold. It, it happens all the time. We, we do identity theft. We do these investigations, uh, Home Depot, Walmart, all these different places. People steal from them all the time. And the sad thing is, I feel like with the change in the law and Prop 47 and 50, Prop 57, we no longer have petty theft with priors. We, we, it's just almost like it's acceptable. You just know, oh, they're going to steal something, you know. Yeah. Or you go to the store and there's Fresno PD right. at Walmart, which, hey, is, yeah. is great. I feel safe. Yeah. Well, let me clear, on the issue of organized retail crime, big news today. The city of Fresno was awarded yeah, $23.6 million from the state of California. So our tax dollars yeah, coming back home. We're going to be able to hire dozens of more police officers for three years fully funded to specifically combat this issue so we don't become the next San Francisco or L.A. When it comes to retail crime, because you're right, they walk in, they take what they want, they walk out. No matter what effect it has on the small businesses like mine, or the employee working at a CVS who gets shot because he's just trying to do his job and go to school. It's terrible. So uh, we are not giving up here in Fresno when it comes to organized retail okay. crime. I'll tell you that. <clears throat> let's get Leon back on for his final comments, and let's put on uh, the store, Leon, and and uh, we absolutely. don't need all of us on. Let's just put Leon on and and. Um, Slide 17. Right. Okay. Hey, great talking with everyone tonight. Uh, hope we brought some uh, light to what it takes to purchase a firearm and all that other fun stuff. Uh, again, as far as classes go, I'm really big on safety, and I think that's something that we need to do in the shooting community or gun owner community is really push that and make those classes available. Um, with everything going on, again, I appreciate being here. Uh, thank you for talking with me, and that's really all I got, man. Sheriff, you guys have been doing a great job, too. So one, you guys are amazing. One, one, one final question for you. Uh, okay. Do you do CCW training? Yes, we do have that okay. class. We have the renewal class, and we also have the uh, initial class. And it, how long is it as a class currently? The initial class is eight hours, and the renewal class is four hours. So if you already have it, when it comes time to renew after two years, it is uh, a four-hour class. It's your first time going through. It's eight yeah. hours. Could you walk, if somebody wants to come into an eight hour, briefly tell us what that entails. So people know if you want to get a CCW, you got to mm -hmm. be, you know, you got to take these classes and you got to do shooting, whatever. Could you, could you briefly tell us what that entails? And then we're going to go so, to Lauren. Oh, yeah. Uh, so basically, it's a nice education of, let's say, current laws. Uh, it's an education on where you can carry, where you can't carry. It, divine, it defines certain things that like, um, for instance, homicide. Uh, what does that mean? Well, it's basically the killing of another human being when one other human does it too. We educate them that it's a big deal carrying your CCW, that it's a lot of responsibility um, on that one to make those judgments. We do have some scenarios in play that are like mental, uh, it's kind of like a mental exercise of thinking about things. Um, and at the end of it, it's a basic qual of being able to handle your firearm. Got it. How many hours of practice is that? Uh, actually shooting? Actually shooting? Uh, that, what I tell everyone with the CCW class, that is not a marksmanship class. That is not somewhere where you come to to learn how to shoot. You need to have that skill prior 
to applying for your CCW. Does that make sense? That does, yes. Okay. Um, what is the cost of a CCW class? Inga says it's about $200 in course code. What is, take a CCW, is it like $100 or some number like that? Yeah, it, it depends if you're renewing because obviously less hours if you're renewing. Uh, for us, it's uh, $90 for the uh, renewal. It's $140 uh, for, the, uh, for the initial. And again, it's one of those, I know they have some ones that are online that are just a PowerPoint. If it's your first time or even renewing, I highly suggest you get in front of an instructor. That way you have that live interaction that you can talk with and ask those questions. Any good instructor is going to make you think in class, even if you think you know everything. That's a silly question, but let's say you're not a gun owner and you're going to get your first gun. Is the CCW valid for a particular weapon, or is it a series of guns you register as part of that CCW? Uh, yes. So whenever you do get your CCW, uh, you can add guns to your CCW. You have to own them to add them. So you already have to be a gun owner by the time you go to get your CCW. Does that make okay. sense? Uh, thank you, great Leon. And, and with that, good, great question. Let's let's uh, bring on Lauren. And uh, and we want to uh, thank Lauren for his patience. Uh, Leon, you're welcome to stay on and now listen to all the other activities that's happening in the state. Uh, but gotcha. you don't, gotcha. yeah, you can sign off if you wish. Uh, oh yeah, Leon, uh, well, Lauren. Thank you very much. Uh, I got to yeah. close the rest of the shop, and I will be listening okay. in. But uh, okay. right. like I said, I appreciate it. Uh, looking forward to talking to you guys again. Awesome. Thank, thank you, Leon. Lauren, um, sorry about the delay. And kind of tell us, um, we have a list of stuff that you sent us, job killer bills. But by and large, what, is, what do job killer bills mean? Uh, first of all, hold on. We got to make sure we got Leon's um, image up appropriately. Okay, give us a. Are you uh, back to me now? We're, we're back to you. We just have an issue. It sounds like we have a. We can't see your uh, video, but uh, let me just ask you this question while the video loads up. Chat, is that is that going to be? A, oh, there you go. For your backup. Okay, uh, so. Yeah, and by the way, I found out last week that that actually pulls too much. It doesn't, we fixed it. You fixed it? Oh, great. Fixed it. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Lauren, tell us what, what is the definition? What does job killer bills mean? And well, are, what are you working on? What is you and the Chamber of Commerce working on? Well, there are um, always a handful of bills that uh, are introduced by the legislature every year that are the Worst of the worst. We uh, we oppose dozens and dozens of bills that uh, are introduced in the legislature that uh, make employers' lives um, more difficult, that add regulation, add taxes, uh, that uh, add costs to uh, doing business, and that hurt the economy. So, but out of those dozens and dozens of bills that we oppose, there are a select few that range from 15 to 25 every year that are the worst of the worst, and they're called job killers. And uh, this year was uh, uh, a little bit worse than, than most, with the uh, legislature being uh, 
very aligned with uh, the labor unions. The uh, uh, it the legislature wrapped up uh, at the end of last week, and they sent six job killer bills to the governor for his consideration, plus a couple of other bills that we didn't tag as job killers, but are uh, very very threatening that uh, that that affect taxes, and so. Um, I'm happy to talk about in detail a couple of those bills. I won't talk about all six. You don't want to hear about all six, uh, but I um, I can talk to you in detail about a couple Please. of the let, of the worst bills that. that. Yeah, let, let, let's let's do, talk about a couple of those bills. I'll, and as you're answering those questions, there's a question from Inga. Does anyone know the percentage of business owners in the California legislature? Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great They're not question. Good businessmen, look at the deficit. It, it, it's uh, um, uh, they would claim that there are more business owners than than I would say in reality because uh, there's a lot of uh, lawyers um, who are in the legislature. But uh, uh, as far as people who who own their own businesses and uh, as they say. Um, uh, sign the back of a paycheck, uh, or I'm sorry, sign the front of a paycheck. Uh, there's there, there's really very few. Okay, uh, Let, let's uh, quickly get to the uh, get us give us some details on the, the on the top two that you want to share with the GB Wire unfiltered audience. Okay, the uh, I'd say the, the 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 one that is the probably the most threatening. Uh, to business owners and should be of great concern to uh, all of your listeners and viewers is a bill called SB 799 uh, by Senator Portentino. He's from Burbank. Um, and it is uh, enthusiastically backed by the California Labor Federation, and it would provide unemployment compensation for striking workers. So, uh, Right. The the basic law uh, of unemployment insurance is that if you're um, uh, unfortunate enough to have been laid off or lost your job through no fault of your own, then you get unemployment insurance. That's that's why we have it. Uh, unemployment insurance is not paid out of general taxes. It's paid out of taxes that are uh, entirely paid by employers. Employers entirely support the unemployment insurance system, uh, and uh, it, it's there to provide a safety net for workers who lost the job, again, through no fault of their own. It's not for people who've been fired. It's for people who've been, uh, who've been laid, generally, who've been laid off. And so it's worse during uh, recessions, and it's better during recoveries. Well, this would say that uh, if a strike has gone on for more than two weeks, then workers uh, who are on strike, who have voluntarily um, uh, stopped working as a negotiating tactic, can uh, pick up unemployment insurance. What this means, it's a couple of things. First, um, employers are, in effect, subsidizing strikes. They're subsidizing workers who go out on strike. They're subsidizing the unions who would otherwise um, support these workers with their strike funds. And so it is a direct subsidy uh, of a strike. Uh, employers who have nothing to do with the strike, 
are are subsidizing it uh, through the unemployment insurance fund, and so it is. Uh, it's it's outrageous that employers would be asked to uh, subsidize a strike. It would encourage more strikes. It would encourage longer strikes because of that subsidy, uh, and it would change the unemployment insurance system from one that supports uh, workers that are have been laid off uh, to one that supports um, workers and their unions who um, are involved in a negotiation tactic. The second big problem with it is that the unemployment fund is deeply in debt. Um, mm. Because of the huge unemployment during the pandemic, uh, you know, we had for a few months, we had 20% unemployment. Uh, and so the fund is is deeply in debt, uh, which means employers' taxes are going up to repay that debt. And if you add more cost to the fund, those taxes will go up higher and they'll last longer. So it's a, it not only is it unfair, not only are you asking employers to subsidize uh, labor unions, but you're um, uh, causing a uh, a longer and higher set of taxes for employers. It's a terrible bill. So I'll shut up for a minute if you have any questions about that one. So I, explain that you said okay. It, this the 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 six ninety nine or seven ninety nine. Basically, you know, taxes employers or employees because employees are actually paying that tax or is it employer that no 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 not at all employers pay this tax employers employers pay for uh the entire unemployment insurance system okay so it taxes employers to pay for uh labor union uh, members that are on strike i mean right now yeah. one of our school districts is looking for us unified uh the Fresno Teachers Association is looking to go on strike. If that law was already passed, then, but does it apply to government also, or is it just only uh, private sector? Um, it's mostly private sector. I'm not sure if school employees get unemployment insurance uh, under okay. any circumstance. So private sector, if, if so forget right. the school district. If, uh, so, the, sector, so, yeah. so auto worker, auto workers, uh, the the actors and writers down in Hollywood, the um, uh, the hotel the, the workers. The two strikes that are it, going on right now, basically. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Is there any is there any auto manufacturing in California? I know Tesla had manufacturing. Did they move all of it to Texas, or is this? No, no. You know? Tesla Tesla is the only um, auto manufacturer in the state, but they're not union. So. Uh, um, uh, they're okay. they're not on they're not on strike. How did they get away from becoming union? Have a manufacturing facility? That's probably the deal Elon Musk cut. You say uh, uh, cut with the legislator. You want me to open up a factory here, take over the old I, I can't remember Toyota factory, and and create all these jobs and uh, revenue and taxes for the state of California. I want subsidies and I want uh, exemption. I, I don't want to have union. Isn't like 85% of Tesla's, I mean, 85% of the labor required to build Tesla is automated. It's uh, through robots. Is that right? Some, some number like that. Uh, he just didn't want to have any uh, labor issues. But anyhow. Um, so, so basically, 
uh, yeah, that, that restricts to the employers are paying for that. Mike, you have yeah, any? I'm actually really curious about SB 325. That could be a big one. You know, I, I was at a restaurant last night, and the employer uh, was just talking about all kinds of issues. The first one he went into is, I get sued all the time. It's crazy. And I have to hire an attorney just for all these lawsuits. If I win, I'm getting sipped. So this is a big concern. Tell us a little bit about that, about the arbitration agreements. Yeah, that, that is a, uh, the, um, the trial lawyers and, and, the, uh, and the labor unions for years have been trying to undermine uh, arbitration uh, practices in California because uh, it's, it's a much less expensive to have an arbitrator uh, decide disputes. And these are often workplace issues or uh, things like that. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's quicker, it's less expensive, uh, and frankly, it's, it's um, just as fair uh, as, a, as going to court, but it happens quicker and, and, and more cheaply. There's no advantage to, uh, to employers to, uh, to do this. What it, the difference is, is that it's expensive to go to court. And so if employers had to go to court every time instead of having arbitrators, um, it, would, it would bankrupt a lot of employers and they would be more likely to settle cases rather than go through the process to, to the end. So arbitration um, actually gets a, gets a fair decision. It doesn't, it doesn't force settlements that are based uh, not on the merits, but on, on the expense. So, um, yeah. Okay, let, me, let me sum this up real quick. So what you're saying is that with an arbitration agreement, it's not in the courtroom. However, it has validity in courts and the parties oh, yeah. together. There's no guarantee the employer or the company is going to win. There's just a level playing field and it costs less for both sides. That's right, and it, and it uh, it resolves more quickly. The, the the losers in arbitration agreements are the trial lawyers. That's why they don't like them, um, and so and so they're trying to undermine arbitration agreements. They've generally been unsuccessful because federal law says you gotta you gotta let arbitration happen. So uh, this this bill, even if it gets signed, it's probably going to be overturned by the by the courts. But it's still. Um, it, uh-huh. it, it, it's a very, very bad trend that we've been getting all these anti-arbitration bills. Um, was, was, was there but, another one you wanted to give us more detail? Yeah, the other one I wanted to the, the other one I wanted to bring to your listeners' uh, attention is um, a measure called SCA one, which is a proposed constitutional amendment that the legislature wants to wants to put on the ballot, and this would. Um, uh, right now, uh, um, if you want to raise taxes locally, you need a two-thirds vote of the people for to, to raise either special taxes or to raise property taxes to pay for um, for local infrastructure for public works. Uh, this measure would reduce the local voting requirement from two-thirds to fifty-five percent. Um, which is, uh, in, in the case of property taxes, we've had a two-thirds vote for these bonds since uh, the 1870s for more than 100 years. Uh, for for local taxes like sales taxes and parcel taxes, uh, we've had a two-thirds vote for special taxes uh, since Prop 13, since 1978. Uh, this would 
reduce the vote requirement, which means it would be easier for um, local officials to propose taxes, put them on the ballot, get their buddies in the unions to uh, run a campaign and get a 55% vote rather than a two thirds uh, vote, which has been uh, the case in California for at least 45 years. Uh, so this is something that uh, will appear on the November ballot um, that voters will have the chance to decide whether they agree with the legislature that they should reduce the local vote threshold for taxes or uh, or reject them. How this actually, because I mean, there are examples of where one of the things I'm concerned about is local authority being taken by the states. This sounds like it's more local authority. Well, uh, the reason that, uh, uh, that, that we're opposed to it is that uh, many of the local taxes that are proposed uh, are targeted at businesses. They're, um, they're gross receipts tax, they're payroll taxes, they're business license taxes, um, they're parcel taxes that are aimed at um, commercial and industrial uh, properties and that's they do that for the simple reason that if they can if they can tell voters that this tax is not going to that the local voter isn't going to pay the tax but instead a business or a corporation is going to pay the tax then it's more likely people will uh will vote for it so uh that's one of the reasons that the two-thirds vote uh, for us is important because it uh, uh it creates a higher threshold um when people are trying to uh, discriminate um, uh, against um, uh, commercial or uh, industrial or small businesses. Let's put that bill back up again. Uh, Chad, please. Uh, you had it up. Uh, Senate Constitutional Amendment, SCA 1. Uh, Lauren, there's also another, there's a ballot measure going through to make everything uh, two-thirds. Is that correct? Yes. Could you, could you tell us about that, please? Yes, that's called the Taxpayer Protection Act, and it's going to be on the November ballot as well. And it, uh, um, it uh, amends the Constitution to strength, strengthen the local two-thirds vote uh, for taxes. And do you have a name for that? I'm on a number for that? Uh, no, it's... it's, it's it's on the November ballot, so there's no proposition number yet. Okay. But it's already qualified to be on the November yes. ballot? Yeah. Okay. So let, let's uh, be on it. I'm sure we're going to discuss that at length, and we hope to have you back to explain both the SCA one and also the other one uh, that's going through. Uh, anything else you want to share with our audience before uh, we wrap up? Those are the most important. Those are the most important uh, bills. There's a couple of other bills, uh, maybe the maybe one other that uh, would be of interest to your listeners, and that's a bill called SB six one six that um, expands the um, the mandatory uh, uh, sick leave days that businesses must provide for their employees. A few years ago, the legislature passed a bill that requires businesses to give their employees three days of, of uh, sick leave. Um, and uh, it, it, it didn't matter what uh, uh, 
the size of the business, the cost structure, um, whether employees were part-time or full-time, there was a mandate of three days of sick leave for um, every business in the state. Um, there's a bill that would increase, gone to the governor that would increase that to five days. Uh, so it's just like a lot of other things that we see once the legislature starts regulating in a, in a particular area, they just want to keep increasing and increasing and increasing the uh, the pressure. Brian, go ahead. Lawrence, go ahead. Can, can you one thing California should economic opportunity? Well, stop passing these these terrible new regulations and uh, uh, mandates and taxes. They can just um, they can stop. Uh, they can help us stop the bleeding. That's probably the most important thing uh, that, they, that they can do. Um, Mike, uh, there's, anything there's just, Chamber proposing or you're proposing that may make its way to the legislature right now or the ballot? Um, yes, that there's one. There's there's one very important ballot issue that will also be on the November ballot, um, and it reforms a uh, again a workplace litigation atrocity that's been, that's been around for uh for 15 years called paga paga oh yeah um tv wires covered that extensively we actually have covered that and we had actually a whole okay. episode on paga and who benefits well, good for you yeah and we hope to actually have you back to we're going to probably do an update on paga because it's uh crippling so give the viewer uh, a, a 30 second uh up uh, background on what is PAGA and what is what's coming up. PAGA is the ability of uh, trial lawyers to find um, uh, to find a flaw in the workplace, um, and then basically create a class action lawsuit around that flaw. For example, if um, if your paycheck uh, has the wrong date on it for um, for your pay period. Uh, that is a technical violation under the labor code, but um, if it uh, you you can um, sue under PAGA, uh, and you can get damages for that and multiply it by the number of employees that uh, um, that suffered the uh, the wrong date on the on the paycheck and multiply it by the number of times that. Uh, that happened, and you wind up getting very, very large um, uh, judgments or settlements for very trivial uh, violations. It's a way for trial lawyers to basically um, uh, hold up businesses for um, for technical violations, and in the meantime, um, real labor code violations by bad actors. Um, get lost in the in the shuffle because the uh, it, the labor agency is so inundated by these other uh, these other lawsuits that uh, that they uh, don't spend the resources going after the real bad actors. So it's a, uh, it's, a it's a terrible situation. I'm really glad that you're covering it, and uh, we'd love to come back and spend more time talking talking about we'd it. Love and to have you informing back. your viewers. Okay. Is it true? when it comes to PAGA, a majority of the people funding up or mm. to support it are actually from out of state? Not even um, California interests. There, there are attorneys from out of state that want to be able to, I believe there's one particular heavily in favor of it. There, there are certainly out of state uh, law firms that want to keep PAGA 
uh, in place. I don't know if they're a majority of the funding. Mike, I want to go back to the question you had. That's a really, uh, that's a great question. But, and Lauren, I mean, to Mike's point, what is one, the one thing, I said don't pass these things, but what, what uh, we have a new speaker. Uh, Our new panelist. Zoe. New panelist. Sophie. What is the, uh, uh, what was your question, Mike? No, you know, what's uh, yeah. the one thing we can do to really yeah. stimulate our economy, economic opportunity in California? Yeah. Besides, yeah, we know that don't pass these job killer bills. And I, 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 I mean, most of our legislators does, doesn't want to kill jobs, but they're supported by big organizations, whether it's trial lawyers or other, another organization that goes, hey, you know, we can fund, I don't, I know, I don't know, fund campaigns or whatever, uh, you know. It's an unfortunate reality. I, yeah. mean, I know you don't want to say it, but here's the reality. Yeah. There's a reason why they give access to Yeah. So is there anything that you've asked that we need again? Is there any, what, is there a silver bullet? One Great thing we question. can do. There's, you know, I, I, can you repeat your question? I, I want to make sure the I, audience, I, oh, Lauren, I hate on to, Lauren, one the, second, I want to, I want to make sure, what is the question? Essentially, exactly. Lauren, in your experience in Sacramento, all mm -hmm. the things you've, is there a silver bullet to how we can reintegrate our state economy again? There's no silver bullet because, um, uh, because our economy has been afflicted by many, many, many different in a whole wide variety of, um, of bad policies. And so there's no single silver bullet. I mean, there's what I would say there be categories of things. Um, I, I'd say that uh, it would be, uh, it would be extremely useful to be able to have a, um, to have a, a flexible work week for employees. Um, in other words, if you could work, if you could have employees work instead of five, eight hour days, they could work for 10 hour days, but you can't do that in California. Mm. Believe it or not, you cannot do that in California without paying overtime. Um, and so, and so you, you think about the, the benefits of, you know, uh, work from home, uh, you, you'd have, you'd have less commuting. There are all sorts of benefits. Um, but the labor unions don't want to let that go because they want to squeeze employers for, uh, for overtime. So that's, uh, that's an example. We we have, um, we have, of course, some of the highest taxes in the nation, uh, which discourages uh, business uh, uh, business location and expansion in California. You could reduce taxes, and of course, um, as I'm sure you know, uh, you know the, the biggest, probably the biggest ongoing policy challenge that that we face in California is the availability of housing um and uh that's that's especially true in our in our coastal metropolitan areas but i'm sure it's uh something that you feel uh in the central valley as well the the uh uh and you know that we're tied up in knots because of environmental uh requirements because of uh litigation over housing because people want to extract um benefit from the uh, from the housing development, it's a uh, it's a morass, and uh, the legislature has played around the edges uh, of this. But uh, 
of the California economy, the, Cal the California will not grow and prosper and we will not, um, we will not see families uh, decide to stay and thrive in California unless they can afford to live here. And uh, that's just not something the legislature has looked at, um, you know, full bore. I wasn't expecting that. For someone to talk about business, bring up the housing crisis and the impact it had. Well, a business can't right a business can't uh, can't grow in California without employees, and if they're if they can't recruit employees to to move to or stay uh, in California, then they're not going to grow. Yeah. Point. That's a great, yeah. great point. Uh, that was a great question, uh, and and really a great answer, Lauren. Which uh, we would like to kind of uh, bring you back to kind of expand on on, on these issues, uh, hopefully uh, soon. Um, okay. Okay. All right. Well, you know where to find me. Thank you very much. Before you go, any other comments? We're good. Um, no, I just wanted to say. Um, so you, you were part of Cal Chamber as well, correct? You work with them a lot. I want to talk about yeah. been big for me Valley is organized retail crime. I don't know if mm -hmm. that's something that affects your industry that you represent, but for a city like ours, now we rely heavily on our sales tax revenue. And um, it's almost neck and neck with property tax. And one commits crime, not only is it wrong for so many reasons, safe and it puts workers at risk, the reality is it affects tax dollars coming into our so coffers true. to pay for it, essentially. Um, looks like a seat responsible for it. There has been some movement last couple of years. What are your thoughts on organized retail crime? Well, it's just a, a travesty that it can't be prosecuted the way that it needs to be in order to um, put these criminals away or to discourage them from the, uh, from the crimes in the first place. It's, uh, uh, but it's, 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 Ter it's terrible for these businesses, not because, not only because it's dangerous and threatening to the, their employees and customers, but the outcome obviously is um, people will choose to shop on online, and uh, um, and they will not be uh, uh, patronizing uh, those businesses out of uh, out of out of fear. Uh, it's it's just a it, 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 it's a terrible situation, and uh, uh, there needs to be much more attention paid to it. Lauren, before we leave, we're going to do final comments. Uh, we'll start with... I'm going to be oh, Colombo and ask one more question. Oh, okay. I, I just I still can't get this comment out of, out of my head when you talked about housing. So, you know, you have a lot of folks throughout this state, and I want to tell you that when it comes to Fresno, there's a lot that's happened that I've been advocating for when it comes to more options for housing and increasing mm -hmm. housing supply here. Of you know employers that want a place where housing is relatively affordable, transportation is convenient, they mm. want to live, whether it's an, an ADU, they want to live in a condo or a home that you own or that you can rent that's new, they need to come to Fresno. So please yeah. uh, share, spread the word for us. Yeah, I think that's actually known. Um, and uh, Great comment. Uh, yeah, but, but that's, a, that's a very useful piece of information. Lauren, do you have any final comments? Um, uh, well, I, I guess my and, and and what should the viewers do? They should uh, they should they should vote for uh, legislative and statewide candidates who care about the state's economy.
How do they know that? Voters typically don't have time. They get bombarded with direct mail campaigns. They, and, and so they, many of them. What was Prop 47's promise? <laughs> Neighborhood Safe Neighborhoods Act. School safety. And, yeah. Let's put it this way. If, if you're a voter and you actually get to see a candidate running for state office or they come to your what's the question you would ask that candidate? The one question your, you can I ask love that. Them. What are your plans to uh, make this state more affordable? Okay. okay. But, but they I'm will sorry, finagle it and they'll tell you what you want to hear. You get to ask a follow-up question to make sure you're not full of crap. What would the next question be? I like that. <laughs> how? That's a hard one. <laughs> I guess the next question would be, no, really, what's your plan? <laughs> I mean, isn't the whole purpose, I, I've heard this from several folks, this is years ago, that said, hey, listen, at the end of the day, there, we want less people in California. And we want barriers to entry. We want people to go, I just can't afford to live here anymore. Gas is more, housing is more, sales tax is more, and, uh, and there's all these new tax measures. There's one for Fresno State coming up. I, I just can't afford to live here. And there's more restrictions. I can't buy guns. I can't, you know, I got to pay more taxes. I, my rent is higher because the guy that built my apartment complex had to pay more, uh, do more work to get it built. From, uh, for environmental reasons. I mean, there's so many reasons. And I said, listen, we want less people in Cal. And this guy told me, wouldn't we want less traffic on the road? He said, listen, we, at the end of the day, we're not, we don't want to build more freeways. We just want to have less people driving cars and less people in our state. Well, that, that may sound um, attractive, but that's a recipe for, for economic failure. Um, because yeah. you, you, because that means you're no longer creating wealth and you're no longer providing uh, hope and opportunity for young families. That's that, that's that's great for people who uh, are live here and have already made their money, but it's not good for everybody else. Uh, Divina, which you had a great comment, great show, GB Wire, so informative and packed with great information. Thank you. Like and two thank two you. shows in one. This is a lot of a lot stuff of for people. great. Great information. Okay. Uh, you have any other final comments? Oh. And I, I, there's so much information. I just want to thank everybody that watched our show tonight. A lot of information about guns, gun safety. I actually learned a lot of stuff that we're going to unpack in a future show. Uh, if we can, is, did, did we lose Lauren? Is Lauren still with us? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we will, we will have a full show on some of the items brought up by... Uh, both sheriffs, uh, Sheriff Zanoni and Sheriff uh, Boudreau, uh, in an upcoming show. So thank you for watching, and have a great week.